The following podcast was made possible by the sponsorship of Teresa Leong Lee and by Catholic Digital Resources, where you can find downloadable faith formation resources and evangelization tools. Visit Catholic Digital Resources at CatholicDR.com to build your own faith and the faith of others. That's CatholicDR.com. Hi, I'm Terry Modica, and I want to welcome you into a retreat that was recorded live at St. Patrick Catholic Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina in 2013. Entitled Celebrating God's Love in Your Domestic Home Church, it focused on God's design for family life and the vocation of marriage. In Part 3, we think about how the church, the hierarchy of the church, could better serve the domestic church, better nurture family life, or the vocation of marriage and the healing of relationships. From examining this, we will hear what the Holy Spirit is telling us about the ministries that we are called to start or join, because God wants to make changes in the church through you and me. The handouts given to people who attended this retreat are available to you on our website. To find the link, see the show notes for this podcast, or go to our website, gnm-media.org, and select the video on God's radical love. Let's begin now with a prayer to open yourself to all that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, renew me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, teach me. Come, Holy Spirit, you have my permission to change me. Good News Ministries of GNM.org presents Footsteps to Heaven. How can the church better serve you and your domestic church? Think about what you think would work well what you've seen a need for, either from your own life or someone else's life. And I'm sure if you tell Beth some future time about that idea, she'll make sure that something happens, right? (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you volunteer to help make it happen. (laughs) And you know what? When we get an idea, a good idea, where did that come from? From God, the Holy Spirit. Does he ever give us a good idea that he's not also calling us to do something with? Not just pass the buck. Oh, here, Beth, there's a good idea. Here, Monsignor, here's a good idea. Let me know when you get it started. (laughs) You know, when Jesus was resurrected, imagine the Pharisees' reaction. If he would have continued doing the ministry where he had left off before Holy Thursday. They saw him crucified. They saw the spear go into his side that proved he was dead. Imagine what Jesus could have done, wowing the people. Here I am. You can't kill me. I am risen from the dead. I am God. You want more proof that I'm the Messiah? Here I am. Instead, what did he do? He sent his Holy Spirit so that all of his disciples, and the disciple is a student, can become apostles. An apostle is one who is sent. In Vatican Council II, the bishops wrote a document, the decree on the apostolate of the laity. What the bishops say in there is that we have not only the right, but the duty as lay people to do the works that need to get done, not just the clergy, not just the nuns. 
Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to all of us in our baptism and our confirmation because he empowers us to be his hands and his feet and his voice and his smile and our arms reaching out. And the ideas of how something could be done to help families, to help marriages, to help parents. So when we get an idea, it's because the Lord is using our experiences where we become frustrated about something. Something's not right. We can pinpoint it. We can identify what's not right. We can come up with an idea for what should be done. And the Lord doesn't want that wasted because it changes lives and in turn changes the world. God wants the family restored. But God wants the vocation of marriage enlivened. Let's look at the moment for the, at the word vocation. What does a priest do with his vocation? His calling is to help people grow closer to God, right? And in their relationship, their personal relationship with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And get to heaven. My vocation with Ralph, in the vocation of marriage is, my primary responsibility above everything else in my marriage is to help Ralph grow closer to God. His major, most important responsibility is to help me grow closer to God. And second to that is helping our children when they were still in our care to grow closer to God. And then from there, it goes out to others. But first, it's in our domestic church. Very, very few people have been taught this official church teaching about what the vocation of marriage is. To help each other grow closer to Christ. And you know, we don't do that by saying, husband, get off the couch, stop watching the game, and come to church with me. That doesn't help us grow closer to Christ. That helps him feel nagged. God doesn't nag. If he did nag, there'd be a lot more people attending this retreat. <laughs> but we love them with God's radical love into going to church, into, grow, into getting closer to God. You know, that's what Goodness Ministries is about. If you sign up for the daily reflections that we email out, which I write a reflection on the readings from daily Mass and Sunday Mass. And it's reflections not about, like a Bible study, it's reflections about how God is speaking to us through these words of Scripture to help us love more radically, to help us know God's love more thoroughly, to help us in whatever situations we got. I had people emailing me and said, you were in my living room yesterday while you were writing that. <laughs> and it was just what I needed to hear. No, the Holy Spirit was in your living room. <laughs> whatever it takes for us to grow in the truth of our vocation, there's a vocation of the single life, which is to what? Help who grow closer to Christ? your friends, if you're a single parent, your kids, of course, co-workers, people at the recreation park when you're, when, when you're at a ball game or something like that. In other words, whoever we are around. So all of us, no matter what our state in life is right now, whether it still needs healing or not, whether it still needs reconciliation with the church's teachings or not, or just maybe just needs a boost. Wherever we are in life, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we do that, people are meeting the Jesus that is in us. 
and we become Christ for them. And whether they realize it or not, they are meeting Christ when they need us. That's the way we're supposed to be living. Sermon on the Mount is a good Bible study to help us grasp on that and, and improve how we imitate Christ. And through that, we exhibit what Christ is like. And when people want to know, for example, why when something stressful happens, I'm not stressing out because I know who God is and I know God is going to take care of the situation. Or when uh, somebody in the, in the family gets sick and goes to the hospital, why I have peace even though things look really, really bad. We had just moved into this house that was big enough for my parents to come and live with us. And just as we were signed, about to sign the mortgage papers, Ralph got laid off. We got through it. Yes, it was stressful, but we got through it rather peacefully because of trusting God. He was not going to lead us this far and then flop us to, you know, into disaster. So we had to live on that trust. We had to walk on water. And so when you live this life, trusting God, and the only way you can trust God is to know his radical love, and the only way you can know his radical love is to spend time learning, sitting with him, increasing your prayer life, coming to events like this, reading spiritual books that help with that. You have to immerse yourself, immerse, immerse, immerse yourself in God, in his love, in the healing journey of getting to know his love better. And when you can do that, when people see you reacting in a non-normal way, a non-human way, because it is divine help, they eventually want to know why. Or the person you least expect is interested in the faith will come up to you and say, I'm having a hardship, will you pray for me? Ralph had that happen to him all the time at work. And he, was, he works in a very secular job. He lets them know, without being oppressive with it, that he's Catholic. And he's got a relationship with God. That's as far as he goes with it. And they notice he's got a peace that others don't have. And they come to him and say, God, will you pray for me? There was one time early on in this journey of learning to be this way when somebody did that and said, God, will you pray for my daughter? She's in the hospital. Something terrible. I don't remember what it was. And the little girl. And God said, sure, I'll pray. And at the moment he said, I'll pray, she was miraculously healed in the hospital. Okay. You can imagine the father, the parents, reacting like, Ralph, <laughs> you've got some prayer power. <laughs> and then that game became an opportunity for him to talk to them about everybody can have this prayer power. You know, just have a relationship with Jesus, who is the source of it, and his Holy Spirit, who gives it to us through our baptism. Our lives are a gospel, or are supposed to be. For whatever ways it's not, that's where the sacrament of reconciliation needs to be part of our lives. If it's a minor thing, the penitential rite of mass does the same thing. But you know what? If we go to mass and we haven't done an examination of conscience beforehand, for the short period of time we have when the priest starts the penitential rite, nothing's going to happen. We're not being forgiven of anything because we're not thinking of anything. There needs to be preparation time before Mass to receive everything that God wants to give us. We should never be walking into church one way and walking out the same way. 
because we have just encountered Jesus in each other, in the Word, and in the Eucharist. This is Jesus. It's not just a piece of bread. It's Jesus. How can we receive Jesus and not be changed by it? Not be healed by it? Not be perfected by it? Loving more fully. Loving fully. All of Mass is designed to help us be different than we were when we came in. It's all healing journey. Healing of reunifying us to God and to each other. One thing that I recommend that churches do, because I've seen it work very powerfully in my own parish, is once or twice a year, the priest turning the Mass on Sunday to a teaching Mass, taking time. The Mass goes a little bit longer, so, so what? We're with Jesus. Why rush away from that, you know? Just pausing and, and explaining. Okay, now we're starting to learn to the Word. What's that mean? You know, or explain the different parts. Why does the priest put on what he puts on? What's it called? You know, different things. My parish has come alive in the faith and appreciation and belief of the Eucharist. Statistics say that about 50% of Catholics do not believe that, that Eucharist is really God. But that changes when you have teaching masses. Because people then begin to understand what is going on in a mass. And mass when we can fully participate in it because we understand what's going on, becomes transformative. If we are not fully participating, we're just in autopilot, nothing much happens except I've done my duty, I've been there. Okay. During Mass we pray, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. What's the roof? It's my body. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. But... We also are not disconnected people who are individuals. We're individuals, but we're not designed to be individualistic. We are connected. Remember what I said this morning? Sin is the disconnect. So, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. In the sense of connectedness, what's the roof? The domestic church. Your home. And that second handout you've got for reading later goes into that a little bit more. Okay, what parts of the Mass lead up to the healing? Say the word, Lord, and my soul shall be healed. The opening song is there for a reason, not just to give us something to stand up for and practice using our vocal cords. Does this matter if we don't have a good singing voice? Book of Psalms says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Doesn't say you have to be in key. Singing joyfully to the Lord is a great witness to the people around us who are barely there. Pew warmers. You know, how often it's Easter season and at Mass it's hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> a lot of times this happens at daily Mass and, you know, the gospel acclamation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you know Jesus rose from the dead? <laughs> then let your face show it, let your voice tell it, and evangelize the person next to you who just came in with a headache because he's got a stress at home in this domestic church. Jesus' smile is something that we often don't see. How many people have seen a statue in church with Jesus smiling? Or a picture. How many have seen artwork where Jesus is smiling? There's a problem because we have for centuries 
focused on the pain and suffering of Jesus. I did a search for a smiling picture of Jesus. And there's this one where he's looking up towards, you know, this direction, profile, and he's looking up towards heaven and laughing. And every time I went by the picture, I thought he was laughing at me to the Father. <laughs> Can you believe what Jesus did? <laughs> I gave that away. <laughs> and I went looking for a picture that really ministered to me that showed Jesus' smile. And I go to the religious goods stores, and the only smiling pictures I saw of Jesus was on children's coloring books and children's stories. And I said, but I need to see Jesus smile too, not just the little kids. So I, I went on the internet, and you go to nancyleemoran.com, I think it is. She's an artist who made this beautiful picture of Jesus in this position. You know, it's, he's smiling and he's saying, oh, you're so welcome, I want to hold you in my arms. Radical love. So that was a bit off topic, but um, <laughs> I was talking about being joyful in church because of the testimony, and I know why I was bringing up the smiling Jesus, was because Jesus must have smiled a lot when he was walking the earth. Otherwise, people would not have been attracted to him. Who's attracted to a grump? <laughs> You know, we see it, we see this painful look on Jesus' face and the sorrowful look on his face, and we see these images of we have to be serious about our faith. <laughs> Who's attracted to that? And, and whenever we have a spouse or other family member who isn't going to church and, and they just and they've been introduced to church, they've been introduced to Jesus in the Eucharist. The reason why people have a hard time choosing to follow Christ is because they haven't met the real Jesus. He's a disciplinarian that's watching out to catch you when you do wrong. Or he's never there for me when I need him, and so forth. There's something in their understanding of Jesus that's not correct, and that's why they haven't embraced him and let him embrace them. So in our being church for one another, our being Jesus for one another, we need to reveal what Jesus is really like. The vocation of marriage is supposed to be a reflection for the world of what Jesus' love, what, God, what God's love is really like. Forgiving, faithful, never cheating, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love is patient, love is kind, God is love. So God is patient, God is kind, and so forth. That's the God that people need to meet, and they need it through us. They meet him in those things through when we are patient and we are kind, and by them knowing that we get this ability to be patient when we run out of patience from God. That's how they get to meet God. That's how we, over time, encourage people to come to church who are in their families and not going. So I'm going to be, um, I'm not going to go through every single one of these questions because the reason why I have it on your handout is so you can take it home to your domestic church and discuss these together. Look at the, the first few questions. What, what parts of Mass lead up to this healing? What comes after this part of Mass? What happens when we receive communion? Go to church tomorrow or tonight looking at these questions, considering these questions, and paying attention to Mass. 
and what parts are doing what, and what is leading into something else, and how is this revealing God's radical love? What happens, number four, what happens when we receive communion? The word communion means, comes from Latin, but cum, C-O-M, means with. So, with union. Who are we in union with? Jesus and each other. The body of Christ. All of us. There's, remember I said sin is disconnect? There's reconnection there. And that's what number five says. Sin is breaking of that union. When we disconnect ourselves from God, each other, and our true identity. You know, most people, the hardest person it is for us to forgive is ourselves. We're telling God, okay, I heard you say through the priest in confession, I'm forgiven, but I don't believe it. You're lying to me, God. That's in fact what we're saying when we don't forgive ourselves. One of the tragedies of abortion is that women don't want to face what really happened in the abortion because they don't know how to forgive themselves. But God is saying, I will make good come from everything I love to my precious child. There's that outstretched arms and the smile on his face. So our true identity is that gem that I described. Our true identity is what 1 Corinthians 13 describes. Patient, kind. For example, when you're impatient, do you feel good? Because we're not being our true nature. Number six, radical love is the root of everything good. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Why was Jesus born? What radical love did he give us? That's what Advent this year in your domestic home, in every Advent, in your domestic church, is a time, or should be a time of, is spending more time reflecting on why was Jesus born for me, for you, daughter, for you, son, for you, spouse, for you, friend, for you, neighbor, for you, co-worker. What radical love did he give us by becoming one of us? What did he have to give up to do it? What did he have to sacrifice? Besides his death, his, you know, at the end of his ministry, yes. He actually He was still God, but yeah, he sacrificed. He sacrificed his godliness in heaven. He was. He had the godliness on earth, but it was a lot better. A lot better up in heaven than he's been down on earth. Something else that we often don't think about. When he chose to become one of us so that he could die for us, he sacrificed living eternity with hands that had no holes in it. When Jesus was resurrected, he showed that his hands still had the nail marks. He still has those nail marks. Probably until the second coming, he's got those nail marks. This podcast was made possible by supporters of Good News Ministries who hope to strengthen and build your faith. If this episode speaks to your heart, then I ask you to pass it along to your family and friends. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Forward it by text and email. And let us know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. How has this episode made a difference? You can contact me through the Good News Ministries website at gnm.org or by texting me if you are one of our subscribers on WhatsApp. May I ask a favor of you? Please cover this life-changing podcast ministry in your daily prayers. And if you can, 
help me continue making these podcasts by becoming a sponsor. Any donation is helpful, but we are especially seeking sponsors for upcoming episodes. You've been listening to Terry Modica of Good News Ministries. For more faith builders or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website at gnm.org. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit gnm.org today.